This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 183 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Equestrian Collections and Charles Owen. This is Reese Coppler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Fergus, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. We also have, as usual, our producer, Glenn. Glenn the Geek here from Ocala, Florida, right up the street from Wellington, where everybody seems to be going nuts. What the heck's going on down there? It's like a circus. <laughs> well, Wellington is its own special place in the world. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. <laughs> but Glenn, you've been, you've been looking at this today, and can you tell us a little bit about it? Well, I... I'll try. I, I, we need to get somebody on next week. If this hasn't died out by then, we need to get somebody on because obviously it's blown up over the last couple of days with every world champion in the world coming in to speak about it now. Uh, you know, th- this family, and, and actually Philip knows a little bit more about the family than than I do. Um, Philip, can you tell us a little bit about the, the family that's, y- you said that they own, they, they're in the hockey world? Yeah, well, it's the Jacobs family um, that owns Charles Deer- and Kimberly Jacobs. Is, um, is I think that's the lawsuit. son yeah. of Jeremy Jacobs, who owns um, the Boston Bruins and the Boston Gardens, along with some other things. I mean, that's that's only information I found out by googling it and and just following um, the family a little bit. And I guess they've brought a lawsuit against um, the Wellington Showgrounds to apparently have all the new uh, improvements over the past couple of years torn down and returned the site to its original um, its original way. So, I mean, I'm far removed from this. You're in Acala, closer to it than me. But that's, you know, just from reading what's on the internet and, and going back and following it a little bit, that's that's about all that I well, know. Well, there's been a couple of lawsuits that they've, the family, the Jacobs family has lost. And um, the, the recent one was last week was the the judge threw it out and they have refiled another one since the one last week and it was since they refiled this third lawsuit uh, that you know that that the riders from around the world I mean names that that uh, everybody knows at the tip of their tongues uh, many Olympians have now jumped in uh, you know just condemning it and you know apparently the Jacobs family I don't know much about them either. Uh, is involved with horses, and one of the comments that everybody's making is, we got horse people trying to take out something that, you know, has has been there for years, and and is you know is everything that is winter uh, competition from dressage to hunter jumper here in the United States is there. So really, what they're trying to do is destroy this this uh, you know this facility and the competitions that have built up to become the competitions for the winter. Um, yeah, I mean, we've got riders coming in from all over the world to to go to Wellington and to compete there and to have another equine family trying to take it down. It just doesn't make much sense. So, I mean, yeah, like you said, if this doesn't die out, we're going to have to have somebody on and and, uh, and explain a little bit, you know, what's going on and, and who's involved, I suppose. Now, Mark uh, yeah. Bellissimo, who is, the, uh, who is the guy who is the chief executive of the Wellington Equestrian Partners and... Uh, and the organizing group for the shows there, you know, he's pretty confident. Now, he's on the other side of the... He's the one defending all of this. But, you know, he said he's confident the suit will fail as the uh, the other two lawsuits did. What I... The piece of the pie that I have missing is is what is different about this lawsuit than the other two. Why, why can they file this third lawsuit? And cl- what are they claiming that's different than the first two? That's the part that I, I think is missing in my mind. Yeah, and well, we'll just a, have you know, to follow it. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful facility, and it, and it's certainly the global uh, is going to bring all kinds of amazing prize money to dressage, especially, um, and another wonderful facility with great CDIs. Um, you know, now when you look at the calendar in Florida, there is a CDI um, every weekend starting mid January to the end of March, and to have that kind of, we just have never had that ability to compete. Uh, with that 
level or at level with the judges and the riders from Europe. So I hope that it does kind of settle down and, and things can kind of go on as normal because it, it really is a phenomenal facility. And any, anybody that spent time in Wellington, uh, it really is for horse people, a magical place to be in the winter. There's something always, always going on. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to going for two months and it, it really is, uh, very, very special. So I hope that we can kind of get this resolved and, and just get on with the horse shows because it is, it is really wonderful. So I hope it does kind of settle down a little. Well, unless there's a piece of the pie missing that we don't, we don't understand, you know, I kind of think, you know, once you've had two lawsuits, there's got to be something, I do understand a little bit about the court system, and there has to be something that's significantly different in the third that the judge would even accept it, you know, to take a look at it. Otherwise, it'll just be thrown out. Um, So let's hope that's what happens. And, and, you know, everything goes on as normal. But it sure has caused a stir in the in the uh, competition world, especially on the dressage side, dressage side, because the global global dressage festival is there. So, you know, it's, it's something that uh, everybody is a little bit concerned about. Now, the other thing that happened that's, (laughs) that's coming into the mix, too, is the new city council that was in uh, that was voted in earlier this year. Uh, is, you know, I don't know if they're friends with the Jacobs, but they're certainly more anti-horse in Wellington than the last city council. And, you know, they're the ones putting the kibosh on the retail and hotel plans that they had there and, you know, that are really causing some trouble with that. So, you know, there's another element, too, and the city council has a new city council, and they're not as favorable to everything that's going on. You know, so you, you have that element in there as well. Yeah, it looks like the plans have already been scaled back a little bit because of that in the council. So, um. but you know, Wellington is it? It's it's such a tight place. You know, there are farms that are on five acres, and they're beautiful farms, absolutely gorgeous. But it's a very very tight, especially in that particular corner of Wellington. It is tight. And, yeah, there's um, not a lot of space at all. Uh-uh. And when you fly in, if you fly into West Palm Beach there and look down, there isn't an ounce of area that's not built on it down there. I mean, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, it's not like North Florida. Um, you know, it really is. It's tight. And, uh, we were talking before we came on the air, you know, Wellington as a user and, and someone that brings people in, you know, to, for, to the horse shop or even my well, family you're going down there this winter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll be down there in January. There, there's not a lot of hotel space, um, in the Wellington area. There's, there's two, um, and the rest, you really have to kind of go, you know, 40 minutes away to a hotel. So, you know, that doesn't make sense to me at all, uh, why they would do that. But uh, again, you know, I, I also understand we have millions of dollars in, in a farm um, that you don't want a hotel next door to you. So I can I can understand that as well. But uh, don't like horse people spending money fighting horse people. That's for sure. Well, and you know what, though, when you say that they weren't going to build a Motel 6. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be a beautiful facility. So, you know, and, and it's, it is actually that, if I understand where it is, it is a piece of land that's kind of barren and it's not that attractive right now anyways. It's just open space and it, and it is like the one open space that's around. So it really could use some spiffing up in some, some way. Love. Well, you know, yeah. we have the same conversation speaking of hotels and you're, you can, you're somewhat involved in this too, living where you do and, uh, being at the horse park, th- that has been a conversation going on at the Kentucky Horse Park for years. Uh, they wanted to build a hotel in the front yard of the Kentucky Horse Park, literally. And, yeah. you know, there's been those that have been adamantly against that. And just because of, you know, how it looks and will it look okay. And I don't want to put a big hotel in what what is a beautiful open horse park. Um, but then they've built 30 buildings there, you know, so. Yeah. Um, well, it's- with the horse park, it's maybe slightly different because it is a it's a it's a state park, right? So it, it does get into a little bit different type of thing. And and with the horse park itself, you know, Georgetown, the city, the little borough I live in, you know, they're they're probably ten hotels um, within five ten minutes of the horse park, um, which is not the case actually in in the Wellington area. Right, it's right. just it's, it doesn't exist. Um, I wish it did because you know your two options one's extremely expensive and one is uh, it's fine for for a night's sleep but it certainly isn't the Ritz. So um, <laughs> and, you know <laughs> we were just there's a little bit both it. extremes there. Yeah, yeah there's both <laughs> extremes. I would love a, a middle option. You know 
Well, yeah, well, we will we've stay on top of it. Yeah. Or... <laughs> 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 I don't know if we've helped it or hurt it, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep following it. If it's still going on next week or if it's blown up further, we'll get somebody on to, to really, that knows what they're talking about uh, when it comes to the mess in Wellington. Yeah, but there was some other news. Um, actually, it's good for me because I'm not going to have to travel. The uh, 2013 Festival of Champions uh, has six uh, USEF national championships from Grand Prix to Pony Riders will be held at the Kentucky Horse Park October 10th through the 13th. So I am excited. I am not going to have to travel to the West Coast or <laughs> to uh, to Gladstone. And October is absolutely a beautiful month. It's it that is that is the time, in my opinion, to come to Kentucky. So um, I am really, really looking forward to having everybody come to the horse park and and be there. We had our regional finals there this year, and they went really well. And um, I think everyone will really enjoy coming, and, and it'll be a nice venue for the national championships. So that was just announced today. I think this yeah, I think is a legacy of the WEG, too, this. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, when you really talk about facilities, you're talking about Wellington, and then you really are talking about the Horse Park now, uh, which is really um, a wonderful thing for me because it's certainly a part of what my family and, and I have worked hard for and my a lot of my students for many years. So to see it kind of, um, you know, blossoming and, and coming into its own now and having these national championships. Also, they announced the Young Rider Championships will happen at the Horse Park again this year in, in the July. So it's coming around. People are really seeing how great it is here, and, and it, is a, it is a great time. But October, uh, Keeneland's going on. And the weather's usually wonderful, so I'm glad to have everybody coming to my neck of the woods. Perfect. Well, it is more central than Gladstone was, right? And I think they were trying to find a venue on the west coast, but uh, didn't didn't have anywhere to uh, to host it. So uh, Kentucky sounds good. I'll come down and visit. Oh, I'd love it. <laughs> That'll be great. Perfect. So we have a, we have a fun show today. Um, we're gonna we're going to um, have our fourth part of the helmet series. Today and after the helmet series, we're going to talk with Tammy Batts. She's a USCFS judge, and she's going to talk about what do you do when your horse isn't on the bit and your test isn't going well. So it should be a great show. And then Philip, you and I have a trainers talk segment today. Yeah, we had a great email sent in by one of our listeners as uh, you know some advice about her horse. So we're going to talk about that and uh, and hopefully help her and. Uh, well, it's a problem. It's a problem moving from first to second level, and that's a problem a lot of people have. A lot of our own students and stuff. So, hopefully, we can uh, we can help some riders out with this uh, with this trainer talk segment. But first, we're gonna we're gonna hear uh, from Charles Owen and Riders for Helmets, along with the Horse Radio Network, has presenting over the last couple of weeks a special holiday series called "Giving the Gift of Safety: Purchasing a Helmet for Your Loved One at Christmas." And we hear today from someone who was involved in the extreme Mustang makeover and uh, hasn't worn a helmet for forty years until now. We'll find out why. <laughs> Glenn the Geek here, founder of the Horse Radio Network. We are excited to bring you a special holiday helmet mini-series, giving the gift of safety, purchasing a helmet for your loved ones at Christmas. Today we hear the story of Anna Schaben, extreme Mustang makeover competitor and a non-helmet wearer her entire life. What changed her mind about helmets? We find out today. This series is sponsored by Charles Owen. When Charles Owen himself founded the company in 1911, his mission was to make products for a safer world. The incorporation of the latest technology and protection, fit, and ventilation allows you to focus on riding in the knowledge that your Charles Owen helmet will take the very best care of you. Safety, comfort, fit, all wrapped up in a helmet that is the epitome of style in each discipline. Why wait any longer? Nothing says you care more than the gift of a Charles Owen helmet for the holidays. There's a trained helmet fitter waiting in your local tax store, or you can find Charles Owen helmets at any of your favorite online tax outlets give the gift of safety and style this christmas with charles owen and now the story of anna Chauvin. hi anna and thank you for joining us today to tell your amazing story now as i understand it from Lindsay at riders for helmets you were not a helmet wearer originally no i wasn't um i grew up in south central nebraska and basically in that area people just don't wear helmets you know, we've kind of viewed them as that's what people who write English, 
use. And out here, you know, we use our horses for chasing cows and doing stuff like that. So we just never even think about buying a helmet or wearing one. And we really don't even have a place where you can get a helmet in this area. So, you know, I spent all my life not wearing a helmet until just recently. And and why did you start? What you were in Extreme Mustang Makeover, as I understand it, right? You participated in that. Yeah, um, I was in the Supreme Extreme Mustang Makeover, and um, Riders for Helmets sponsored um, a helmet incentive there, and it was five hundred dollars for the highest score who signed up for the program. And you know, I saw the dollar signs. I was like, hey how hard is it to wear a helmet and maybe I can make some money doing it. Um, I didn't have a helmet. So I talked to somebody who well, was Rebecca Bowman and I talked to her and she said she had one I could borrow and I put it on for the competition. And I was actually, I didn't even ride for the competition. The part I was showing in was all in hand. So, I mean, it was kind of funny, you know, here I am never wore a helmet and I'm just leading a horse around and I'm wearing a helmet. Um, I know I have friends at home that kind of made fun of me, but they're like, I'm like, Hey, I might make 500 bucks. So <laughs> what the heck, you know, it's worth it. So, and I did actually win the $500. Oh, did you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, I thought, well, that wasn't so bad. So anyway, I, that was the first time I had ever worn a helmet in my life and I'm almost 40 years old. So, you know, it's, just one of those things, you know, just in this area, I'm probably one of the only people who wear a helmet just because it's so not seen. It's just you not, know, the, the, only it's place not you can, the fashion there. Right. right. And the only place you can actually, like, buy a helmet, you know, you can get a, a cheap helmet, like, at a tractor supply store. Right. But other than that, you can't really even buy helmets in this area. So... I, you know, I just never came across, and I've been riding horses since I was two years old. Uh, used to ride, you know, about eight hours a day, and it was just something I never did. And I took a lot of spills, and, you know, a helmet could have probably definitely helped me along, not getting injured as much as I did. But but anyway, after my Supreme Extreme Mustang makeover, I came home, and I was training a horse um, for another Extreme Mustang makeover. I'm in the Extreme Mustang barrel race. And I had just started riding my horse for that, and she had a little bit of buck to her. And one day I was out riding her on the trail, and she took a pretty good hop, pretty good hop, and um, I ended up landing right on my head and ended up in the hospital getting x-rays, and I had a pretty, pretty good concussion. So um, after that, <laughs> I borrowed one of my friend's helmets because the doctor basically told me, don't ride anymore until, you know, several months from now, until your brain can get a chance to heal. And I told her that that wasn't an option. And um, <laughs> Typical horse yeah, girl there, you know, Ariana. <laughs> yeah, I know. She sounded like my chiropractor. I don't know. These people all tell me not to ride. And I told her, you know, I could maybe take like a couple of days off, but I wasn't going to like not ride at all. And she said, well, you know, if you can, you need to get a helmet and wear that. And so I thought, well, you know, you know, had I not been in that extreme thing makeover and wore one for that incentive program, I probably would have just said, oh, forget it, you know. But I really didn't think they were going to be comfortable, and I thought they would be, you know, hot. And um, just wearing one that little bit of time, I thought, oh, you know, it wasn't really that bad. And so um, I borrowed a helmet from my friend, and I ordered one online. And since then, I have been wearing a helmet. Every time I ride. And now, have you found it? To, now, has it gotten to the point yet where when you're putting it on, it's just you don't even think about it anymore? Yeah. You know, it was funny. The other day I was riding, and I got done, and I didn't even realize I hadn't taken it off. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and if you guys live, if people live in an area where it's hard to find helmets, there's great places you can get them online. You just have to measure your head and find, you know, one that's going to work for you. Um I know several of my friends now have started wearing helmets since I wear one. Oh, you started you know? a trend? And, well, congratulations for that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, well, you, when you live in an area and it's just nobody wears it and somebody might make fun of you, you know, when you see somebody else wearing one, then it's like, oh, well, 
if they're wearing one, I can wear one, and then they'll make fun of both of us. But <laughs> you know, it's so it's so interesting that we have you, you know we most states have laws about wearing helmets when you ride your bike. Um, yeah. Yet you know people. And people don't think twice about that anymore. You just put your helmet on, especially if, you know, like you're riding on the road, you put your helmet on and you go. And, you know, it's become the thing. And I think that's the same way. And what you just said, it's the same way with helmet wearing. When it becomes the thing, then nobody thinks about it anymore. Well, that's terrific. You know, obviously now a convert. And thank you. And congratulations, by the way, for helping protect your head, because you can only take so many. I'm sure your doctor told you this. You can only take so many bounces on your head before it becomes a serious problem right well and you know like this week i'm in that extreme mustang barrel race and you know if you ever watch barrel races you don't see very many people wearing a helmet Nope. it's just it's just one of those things that i guarantee while i'm down there i'm going to be wearing my helmet well good and you're going to be setting an example for everybody else and that's where it starts i mean it starts with one person um, so yep. somebody has to be the one to start it. And well, thank you, Anna, for being that one. We appreciate you joining us today and best of luck. Uh, best of luck at the barrel race. Okay. Thank you. Thank you to Riders for Helmets for everything they do for helmet awareness and safety. You can visit them at riders for the number four helmets.com. And thank you to Charles Owen. You can visit them at charlesowen.co.uk. And you can hear all the shows on the horse radio network at horseradionetwork.com. Talk to you again next week. Tonight we have Tammy Batts from Fellowship Farm in North Carolina. She is a USCFS judge, and she's going to give us a judge's tip tonight on what to do when your horse isn't on the bit as you go in the ring. Well, it's my pleasure this evening to have Tammy Batts on. She is a USEFS judge, and we're so excited to have her because we don't have, we haven't had a lot of judges on. So, Tammy, thanks for coming on tonight. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So, Tammy, can you tell us, how did you get into judging? You know, I can't really answer that except I love horses, and I've been doing this since I was three years old, and one thing just evolved into the next, and here we all are. Oh, I think that's great because you're also a trainer. You have a, a lovely barn in North Carolina. And um, so tell us a little bit. You're an S judge, correct? I'm an S judge, and I'm a trainer and rider and wear all those hats, have students that compete, and do it all myself. So I've been on every side of the fence, and I do it almost every day. So I love it, and I've been where everybody else is. So I hope that I can share some, some thoughts that would help somebody else in the show ring. Well, and you are, you are a very, very good judge because um, I have always felt like you're very sympathetic when you judge and um, you do, you, you have a great way of coming at it on all angles. So you understand how hard it is to go down the center line. So, um, so Tammy, you're an S judge. Are you going to go continue on with your training? I would like to right now. I have a really, really fun upper level horse to pursue. So um, following the FEI path is going to take take a break for a year or two um but that is in the future i think oh i think that would be great you would be so good at it so tammy let's start with our tip for the evening okay well what i wanted to talk about is when we're all at a horse show and we've worked so hard and we feel so prepared and it's just not going right (laughs) and (laughs) we've all been there (laughs) yes and the ring steward is saying it's our time and, you know, what do we do or what do we not do? And I thought that might be something interesting to, to discuss. It's our time to go around the ring, and we don't really love what's happened to our horse or to us. And what do we do? What I feel like happens often, and I see it a lot, are people that get frustrated. And they come in the arena, and they're struggling to get their horse on the bit, and they come into the test, and the whole thing's a struggle. And I think that it would be much better if, when we realize it's not going well, (laughs) to first of all not panic and take a breath because you have to remember that every seasoned judge, and most judges are very seasoned these days, have also been in this situation and are sympathetic and want you to do the best and want the best for the horse. So I would recommend, if that's really happening, and particularly at at the lower level, for you to take a breath, 
and decide that you're going to ride this more like an intro level test. And instead of wrestling your horse's head down and feeling like it's got to be just so on the bit when it's not going to be, just go along with the best elastic contact like a hunter and try to get the pattern the most accurate you can ride it. Make all your transitions through your core rather than your reins like we should anyway. Put on a smile and relax. And remember to present yourself and your horse the best you can under those circumstances. And that's not always easy, but I, I think of it as like making a first impression on someone when you meet them. And that's what you're doing when you first meet the judge and you present your horse. So when it's not going well, it would just be better to suck it up and smile and relax and go on and make the most of it and start concentrating on all the positives you can make of the test rather than all the negatives. Oh, I love it because we all have been there and it's the worst feeling ever. And it's a terrible feeling as the support staff on the outside, your trainer, your, your groom, everybody feels terrible for you. Um, so what are some things after you come out of the ring, uh, what are some things you should do to sort of regroup and rally for either the next day or for your test later on in the day? Well, you know, that's, that's a great question too. And I mean, I would think that you would be with your trainer and try to work the kinks out, whatever you all, you all do at home, you know. But I do think at lower levels, one of the biggest issues is putting a horse on the bit and keeping them there with quiet riding. And it's not easy, and it's not easy for trainers sometimes. But I often find that when people go in the ring, they get more handsy, and then you see the seesawing and the head wagging, and it's going to be a lower score. Whereas if you can just go in and keep a light contact, most horses begin to stretch into it and relax. And, you know, when you think about the scores here, if you can just keep your horse relaxed into your hand and a good corner and the best accurate circle you can make and the smoothest transitions you can make, then you can get sixes. You might even get sevens. And, you know, mathematically, if you have straight sixes, you're going to get a 60%. And that's not too shabby if your horse isn't really on the pit. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and also, when you come to the movement like the free walk or the stretchy circle, really, really release the reins. It may not be perfect by any stretch of imagination, but that also shows the judge that, you know what, this rider, yes, maybe is not on the age the best that the next horse is or so on and so forth, but this rider clearly has harmony. They're at peace with their level this day, today, and they also have read the test and understand that at this movement, the reins are even released more, and the judge really, really appreciates someone who has read the test and even if it's not the best thing they've ever seen with training-wise, they're actually being accurate and trying to clearly release the reins at the appropriate time. You would be amazed how often those two movements, and most of the time those are a coefficient of two, are never performed. People don't give the reins and let the horse stretch. So right there, someone who's not having a good day could automatically you know, gain a brownie point or two. Sure. And that is, that is a tough movement. So t okay, while we're on this kind of the stretch down circle and the, and the free walk, that is, that will kill a training level test three score if you don't have your horse and, and you don't perform it. So can we talk a little bit more about, about it? How, what's your best tip to get your best kind of stretchy circle? A lot of judges, you know, there's a lot of confusion out there on, on what needs to happen. Can you kind of help us kind of go through that. And, and I think it's tricky, Reese, because I think that there are two sides of the fence. The one, the, the conversation we're having today is on the horse that isn't on the bit. And so for that matter, it's not a true stretch circle. It's more of a rider really understanding, you know, this is supposed to happen and they're going to go ahead and totally give away the rein and hope that the horse does stretch and let the judge see that they understand that there should be a releasing of the contact, whether it's correct stretching in the training scale or not. Then on the flip side of that, you're talking about a horse that truly is on the edge, a rider that understands and has a training level or first level 
uh, contact and then goes on to establish a true connection, that's where the stretching comes in. And you don't really see, sitting at sea, great stretches. It's rare that you see one, and when you do see one, that a horse truly follows the reins down, stays within the contact in a long frame, still has its back up, does not hurry, does not go on the forehand, super, you know, 10, 9. But, again, you don't see it that often. Sure. Sure. And it's, and, you know, it's hard. I think sometimes, you know, when you're riding, you, you, you think, oh, this is it. And I think that's where it really comes in. To, it, it's a good thing to have a judge take a look at it because sometimes you maybe aren't there or it feels like you're stretching, but you need to stretch even more. I think that's a, that's actually happens a lot. Yes, you do need, a lot of times you need to stretch even more and you're, you feel like it's a lot because I think you've been packaged and there's the stress of I've got to keep my horse round and blah, 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 and just general nerves at a horse show, and then you let the reins go, you know, maybe two or three inches, and you think, wow, that's huge. But when you see it back on tape, you look at it most of the time and say, gosh, what was I thinking? That's nothing, <laughs> you know. And yeah. tape, you know, video is a good, good way to help each and every one of us, no matter what your level, because it often is so different to look at than what it feels like. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And um, so we've talked a lot about, we had actually a sports psychologist on um, last week talking about relaxation and trying to get kind of in that mode as you're going through your test. Do you have any tips on how to get, or as you're going around the ring and you, you say, you know, hello or good afternoon to the judge, what are some things that you recommend that riders do to stay relaxed as you go through the test? Well, I think practicing at home is so helpful, but and saying that, I'm not a fan of drilling test patterns. I think it's obnoxious, and I think the horses, for the most part, really get discouraged by it and start anticipating movements, and then you have more baggage. But I also think you have to be prepared. And at home, doing, doing the movements of the test out of order, the different directions in the arena, you know, not one after the other, any number of things to give you confidence as a rider is certainly going to help in the arena. And then the other thing that I hear people talk about a lot is, you know, the final score and, oh, my gosh, I ruined this movement. If you really look at it, you know, and you've had a good test, it's movement by movement, and you can afford to blow one or two things and still get a decent score. And I think the best thing to do is remember that it is, you know, ride each movement for a 10. And if it doesn't go well, let it go. You've got the next movement to focus on to be the next 10. And to hang on to, oh, I just goofed up, and then I'm still goofing up. And a lot of people do that. You know, they make one mistake, and you'll see the entire test falls apart. But that's mental. Most of that is truly mental. And to let, let yourself just totally ride movement to movement and let it go it just takes practice and realizing, hey, everybody's on my side. Judgy Pudgy supports me. They've been there. Trainer's there. I'm here. The horse is here. It really just takes confidence and training your mind to be in a positive way. I think, you know, for me and some of my students, just riding not necessarily the test pattern, like not riding first level test one, but riding uh, maybe a similar pattern or, or riding movement to movement to movement really helps instead of going like, you know, shoulder in to shoulder into, you know, really drilling each movement, you know, putting some movements together in succession. And then you're kind of practicing something similar to a test without really drilling that exact test all the time. I think that's helpful. Yes, I think that's great. And I also think we were talking about the stretch circle. Most of us in our training don't use it enough. And I think as a good practice for the horse's back, for the, for us as riders, and for the horse's mind is between um, harder movements or some of the collection movements. Let the horse stretch practice that more than one time, more than just the end of the ride, which we're also geared to do and trained to do. Oh, we're done. Let's stretch our horse. Instead, you know, maybe do five minutes of work and stretch your horse in and put it back together or pick up the canter and even stretch a little in the canter and put it back together. Just so it's, it becomes an easy mental thing for the horse. They start looking 
for the stretch and relaxation over their back, and they understand also when to take the contact back. And that's another chuckle we could have because a lot of horses, when you sit at sea, they may stretch pretty well, and then the rider goes to take the reins, and the head goes straight up, and they get tearing off the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think we've all seen that once or twice. We've all seen it and or coach and, someone that does that. Yeah, or, or have it done. Yeah, yeah. I've, yeah, I've or been, had it, been had it happen. Boat, that's for sure, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So again, it's just a good thing to practice, you know, and, and it's a great way to gymnasticize your horse's back and their mind. You know, hey, we can do all these stretches like you and I bending down and touching our toes. You know, it's not so easy every day, but the more we do it, the easier it becomes. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a great, great tip. Well, Tammy, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really enjoyed it and we look forward to having you on another time. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure, and I hope someone gets some help from it. Great. And, Tammy, if we were to look for you on the Internet, how would we find you and your farm? It's um, fellowshipfarm.net. Howdy, everybody. Glenn here from the Horse Radio Network, and I'm speaking to Debbie over at Equestrian Collections with the Equestrian Collections Product of the Week. This is Happy Spring Week, and I wanted to have all of the listeners look at the feet of their veterinarians or their trainers. And what are you going to see on them? Ariat Terrain Boots. These are the go-to comfort shoe for the horse industry. If you, um, They're so comfortable. They have all the good stuff from Ariat inside of them. And they're also uh, good-looking, and they come in lace so that you can wear heavy socks, you can wear light socks, you can ride in them, you can walk in them. You can't say that about every boot on the market. Um, this is a tried-and-true boot, but I wanted to feature it this week because it's in the springtime. You're going to be doing a lot more outside work, and this is the boot to go to. My wife has owned many of these, and they, they actually feel when you're wearing them more like a sneaker than a boot. Uh, which is which is kind of nice. It you know doesn't give you that stiff boot feeling, and that's why they became so popular in the first place. Uh, and then they have the moisture wicker lining, so your feet don't get as hot. So that does make them a good good summer boot as well. Plus, they come in all kinds of cool colors. Yes, and they also we have another um, boot, the terrain boot that is waterproof. The regular terrain boot is not waterproof, but we do also offer a waterproof boot in the same style. That's right. And they have a bazillion different sizes. So you're going right. to find right. a size to fit your feet, no matter what size you are. But I challenge you to look at your, uh, at your farrier or your um, trainer or your vet's feet and see what they have on them. Or, or your radio show host here at the Horse Radio <laughs> Network. And that's the Ariat Ladies Terrain Boot. You can find it at equestriancollections.com. Just search for Ariat Terrain Boot, and you'll find it over at equestriancollections.com. We've talked about it before, and Philip and I well, we always love when our listeners send in a question or are asking for a tip. And tonight we have a great, uh, this is a question that many, many people ask, and it's, it's an issue for all trainers and riders. So, Philip, why don't you fill us in on our listener question? Okay. Well, I mean, we got a big, long email and some, uh, some video along with it from, from a listener. And uh, I'm just going to try and paraphrase the email here to make it quick so we can start into the, into the talk. So, this rider has a reasonably successful show season at first level this past summer and is hoping to make the jump to second level uh, this next coming spring. Second level is both new to the rider and the horse, and unfortunately, they've been struggling to make the leap. She, the rider is desperately missing the more harmonious and easy rides that they had when moving from training to first level, and they she's heard that uh, people have said to her that first to second level is a big jump, which I think is true. And she, had some, she needs some advice for conquering the second level blues. How does she get through the difficult training periods? Are there any techniques for dealing with the frustration without negatively impacting the, uh, the horse or, or the rider? So what do you think, Reese? Yeah, I mean, this is this is a very common. I think this is, you know, really when I when you look at the training scale and you look how things really are going down, second level is really one of the first time, if not the first time, that collection comes in. 
you have shoulder in, you have haunches in, you have renvers, you have counter canter, you have canter walk transitions. Um, it's really where dressage, in my opinion, really, really starts. I mean, now we're, yeah, we're going to say that talk. exact same thing. I mean, you're talking about, yep. you know, self-carriage. Um, developing a, a lot more strength in, in the horse and uh, and the rider really having to learn how to ride dressage. I think first, you know, training level and first level are great and it's really developing the horse. But then second level, that's, I mean, you got to be in control of the straightness, of the bending. You know, so much comes into play here that uh, it's very, very common to be having trouble. And for it to take more than one year to, to, to really start conquering um, this, this training. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, you also have that the rider has to sit the trot for the full, for the full test. That's a big one. I think that's a great place to start. And, you know, when you start in first level, if it's not going well, or your, your horse is, you don't have his back or, or something's going wrong, you can post the trot and it kind of makes it, takes that out of the equation. Um, you have in the lengthenings, you can post the trot. And when you move to second level, that becomes, that's not an option anymore. Um, so I think that's a great place to start is you have to be able to be strong enough as a rider and have enough muscle control to make it through the full test in sitting trot. Um, and I think for a lot of people, that's, that's really hard. Um, and I've had horses where I have to sort of close my indoor and go in there for a few, you know, a few rides and figure out how do I sit this horse's trot or, um, so I like to say with sitting trot, you should start several months in advance. You know, if you're showing first level, you should be working on your sitting trot. So, I mean, I don't know about you, Philip, but that's the first place that I like to start with that jump and, and get that out of the equation earlier before we start really hitting all that, the second level stuff. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, the rider has to be able to be making um, half halts and transitions without the aids of the of the reins. I mean, that's a a great place a great place to start. But on the other side of things, I mean, uh, you know, it is going to be hard work, and you just you know you have to kind of get get in there and, and do it, and you know, day by day, even though it may be frustrating. Frustrating. Um, do you think there's any ways to alleviate, alleviate some of the frustration or some different ideas on, on what to do there, Reese? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's very common. Um, you know, I, I actually had a rider here today. She's sort of in in that same going to second level blues. And, um, you know, I've worked with this horse and rider for, for a long time. And um, as we were going through first level and working on, for example, the the lengthenings, it took this horse a long time just to have the strength to do the lengthenings. Um, and I think that comes in a lot even more at second level. You know, the horse not only has to understand what you want when it comes to collection and extensions and medium trots, but they have to have the strength to do it. And yeah. um, that takes time. I, I you know, I wish I, I had a better, um, you know, way to say that, you know, I mean, it's just like when I go to the gym, I don't, uh, I've been on a, a gym push in the last couple of weeks and, oh, it's so hard. Uh, you know, it's hard to be motivated to go to the gym every day. It's hard to get out there. My muscles are tired. I, you know, I don't want to go. Um, yeah. I, but it takes, you know, for me, it's going to take a month to sort of get back in the routine and really get going. Um, and you can only imagine with the horses, it's the same. Like it just takes them time. You know, they have to kind of go through that period of maybe they're a little bit sore. And, and sometimes as much as we always want it to be harmonious, sometimes it's not in training. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, that can definitely, uh, that can definitely be the case. I mean, uh, a couple other, you know, tips to deal with this, I think is, uh, one, have your trainer ride the horse. Right. I yes. mean, you know, yeah. it's all well and yeah, good to be, to be, you know, getting the, the lesson, um, you know, the, the traditional type of lesson with the, with the trainer on the ground and the rider riding. But sometimes, you know, even if you don't have a lot of money, switch up the, the lesson into just the trainer riding the horse for, for one week or, or two weeks or as much as, as possible to really help the horse get the idea. Because if you're both learning together, that can be really a source of the frustration that the horse is not understanding and, and the rider is, is not understanding and they're both fighting each other a little bit. So just take the rider out of the, the equation for, for a week or two weeks and, and, and see what develops. The other thing is, you know, when you're developing strength for this level, you can do trot poles, you can do raised trot poles and cavalettis because this really helps the horse to, 
flex the joints a little bit and and get moving correctly and developing that strength that we're talking about for you know self carriage and and collection so uh, a couple of different things to try and get out of the daily grind but still getting the work done you still have to do the work right i mean um you know, hacking once a week is great, but that's not going to help develop the strength and the muscles of the horse. So, Philip, I think some other tips, you know, I, I talk a lot about it and I'm lucky here. We do a lot of outside work. We work on the hills. I think this is other time that it never hurts to get out there and, and do transitions and do a lot of them. Uh, that is the other thing with strength. So we do hill work and then transitions. Just like squats at the gym, the more you do it, the stronger you get at them. So that's definitely something that I encourage my students. Transitions, uh, walk, trot, canter, walk. That's in second level. Um, and sometimes those canter walks, they can be difficult, but you just have to find sort of the right the right amount of pressure you need for your half halt. That's a, that's a big one. A lot of times people either get trot or halt and you have to sort of find that middle ground in, in the, in the transitions. Uh, also transitions within the gate extension collection. Uh, we do a lot of that. Um, and again, I'm going to go back to that time element. You know, it, it, this does not happen overnight and I think people have to be really realistic. Um, this is where also, uh, does every horse in my opinion can do at least fourth level but sometimes your your kind of better athletes are going to be better at this stage, wouldn't you say, Philip? Yeah, I mean, for sure, it can take horse. You know, some horses a quick time to pick it up, and it's just all right. You know, oh, we can collect. We can, and other horses have to, you know, take their time and and learn over time. And and uh, you know, so uh, I hope those ideas are going to help because um, you know, there's a lot of people in in the same in the same boat, right? So. Uh, yeah, and, and don't be – I think people also get really nervous that they have to do a level a year. Um, and I think this is a time where you really need to talk with your trainer and work with your trainer. And, um, you know, uh, we're coming into into the winter and this is a great time to work on on coming out. But maybe your horse isn't ready um, for second level in six months. And that is not uncommon. And don't be upset if, well, I was able to sort of do a, a level a year to this point and then second level comes up and you're not able to do that. Um, I don't think that that's unreasonable. Do you? Yeah, I mean, you could certainly set a goal, you know, coming in the fall and saying this is what I'd like to do. But sometimes it just it just doesn't happen and you have to take a little bit of time, either not show or show again at first level and, uh, you know, and, and look to get better that way. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and again, communication with your trainer saying, you know, like I am frustrated with this. Is there other things that we can do? Is there another way to approach this? You know, come up with some ideas. I think uh, you know that'll help. But again, just getting going back and and you just got to do the work and put the time in, and and uh, you'll find some success. Sometimes you you'll get better, you know, over a week, and then maybe it feels like you regress. I mean, don't get down on yourself. Don't get down on your horse um, because we've all been there, and it just takes time. Yeah. Exactly. So we hope this helps our rider. Um, we both looked at the video and you're doing great. Keep it up. You're doing fine. Um, don't feel like uh, that, that you need to stop or something's going horribly wrong. At least what we saw from the video, you look like you're doing fine. You just need to keep doing it. So stick with it and you'll be fine. Yep, I agree. Well, that was terrific, guys. Hey, uh, I assume that because you're both here and I'm here that none of us won the lottery. Although it's huge power. I played. You, I, played. I played two, and th- I, I didn't get. Yeah. I played five num- tickets, didn't get one number, not one. Oh, mm. I was sure I was destined. <laughs> Yesterday, I was destined because you had. I didn't. I haven't bought a lottery ticket in so long, and didn't realize you have to pay cash for your lottery <laughs> ticket. So I didn't realize. I didn't know because again, haven't done this in a while. And so I went in, and I was so excited, and I was like, "Okay, here's my credit card." And the guy's like, "I'm sorry, we only take cash." And I was like, "Oh." So I bought my wallet and I have $2 and it was a $2 ticket. And I was like, I'm destined, but no. You thought you were going to. Did you even have one number? I didn't have one number. (laughs) You know what? I didn't even look. I I was listening to the Today Show this morning and I really thought if they said Kentucky, I would actually go and look. But But Uh, you got to check though, because there were 70 winners of a million dollars in this drawing too. What? Oh, I haven't thrown it away. Oh, I'm I'm Never throw it away. No, you got to go look. Now, your oh, now lottery go, works what? different than ours. Well, I maybe, I maybe am a, a lottery winner. <laughs> Yours you works never different, know. Philip? I'll, I'll still, well, I'll I still mean, do the show. 
Okay. You have to pay taxes yeah, right. on it. Right? It was how, <laughs> how many millions was it? It was uh, it was um, it was uh, five hundred and sixty million, a half a billion. Now, how much how much tax is that? Uh, well, by the time they I, take half of that, it's pretty much tax. <laughs> yeah. Uh, See, yours is tax free. It's tax free because it's. I mean, there are lotteries run by the government, and, and we get it tax free. So it's a little bit different, but uh, yeah, we don't have numbers that big. That's for sure. They were selling yeah, something like uh, what was it? Uh, 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 I forget what it was. It was millions of tickets an hour. I mean, it was huge oh, number. Yeah. I never buy one. I wouldn't got one. <laughs> did, I, did I tell you guys my my thing today? You all, this this truly happened. I went over a few jumps. What? I jumped. Down oh again. yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. I saw that. Yes. Did you stay in your saddle? Oh yeah. No, it was on purpose. Oh okay. <laughs> I, I had a friend who's an advanced eventer, and she comes on Thursday and jumps. Um, we have jumping day on Thursday for the young horses. And I got up the nerve and I said, I'm going to go over some sweet jumps with Denali. And he was awesome. In and her saddle? I, in her tack? I, I shortened my stirrups. Yes, I did. And we went to my <laughs> dressage saddle. I, would, I think I'd be more uncomfortable in a jumping saddle than I would be yeah, in a dressage saddle. Yeah. So, yeah, I had to shorten cool. my stirrups. He's a good boy, isn't he? He's so he's a really, really good. I'm I'm lucky that I, I bred such a nice, nice young man. And I just it was fun. I'm gonna do it again next it was Thursday. Fun? We the, wait a minute. Reese just said jumping was fun. Wait till she lands it's on her ass and yeah. then we'll have a totally <laughs> different next conversation. Next week it'll be like <laughs> I got a broken leg and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, guys, it was it's like a, on the it was a cross rail it was on six the inches. Third. <laughs> yeah. And Travis said, Was that actually a jump? That's what my husband said. I was he walked so over it. <laughs> uh, yeah, he really could have. But there was, we actually got some airtime. I'm not lying. It was, we had a few <laughs> actual jumps. I used to jump as a kid, so it's not like I don't know how. I'm just not good at it. But yes, everybody, I just thought I would mention that I, I went over some sweet jumps today. Well, then you're getting so, kicked off the dressage radio show very soon. But don't worry. Then I quickly got on my, uh, my, my Winnie and, and worked on pirouettes and changes because I really had to go back to my dressage world. <laughs> but it was well good for you. Wait, wait, yeah, wait was, to leave exactly. the comfort zone a little bit this week. Yeah, it's you know it was it was kind of yeah. So it was good. It was good. But everybody, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website at dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook. Just search for the Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. Don't be afraid to send us in uh, questions. Uh, we love listener questions, and Philip and I will do another trainer talk if we get a, another uh, really good uh, email. So we enjoy that. Please keep sending them in. And my website is maplecrestfarmky.com, and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. You can find me at philipparksequestrian.com, and my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. Like to thank our sponsors, Equestrian Collection and Charles Owen. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Including mine, Horses in the Morning. Exactly. Yeah, listen to Glenn. It's a good show. It's great. Well, everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back, and we will talk to you next week. 